Welcome to Let's Talk Land, a weekly land education talk show devoted to learning about land and farms, buying and selling, and ownership, especially for real estate agents and realtors. Hey, learn from the expert, guys. This is free land education. Hi, my name's Lou Jewell. I'm an accredited land consultant with United Country Real Estate, Sutton Properties, along with my co-host this morning, Teresa Martin. Good morning, Teresa. Hello. How are you today? I'm well. I hope you are. Oh, yeah. We've got a, we've got a repeat today. Good. Yeah. It's second second show, and I'm excited to have him on. Buying or selling homes, land or farms in western Piedmont, North Carolina, or southern Virginia, just give us a shout. Guys, we'll help you out. Our office is at 102 East Main Street and next to BB&T Bank in downtown Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. Our company website's www.allsuttonproperties.com. That's A-L-L-S-U-T-T, Sutton Properties, plural, dot com. All of our shows are dedicated to the Realtors Land Institute staff and members. Our national website's www.rli.com. Hey, listen to me. If you're wanting to buy land or if you're wanting to sell land, I'm not talking about lots in the subdivision. I'm talking about land, acreage, farms. Make sure you go to that website anywhere in the country and check out and get one of our members and definitely one of our accredited land consultants. There's about 500 of us. And you've got the experts. <clears throat> they'll save you money or they'll make you money. Hey, we'd like to thank our sponsor, LandHub.com, buying or selling land. LandHub is the place to be. Teresa, our guest this morning is Matt Allen. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome back. You were on podcast, I think. Uh, made a note of Where did I make my note? Well, 135. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I talked about the Code of Ethics. Perfect. This is 155, so uh, 20 shows ago, if I did my math right. But uh, uh, we had a really, really good uh, session there uh, uh, that we talked about uh, uh, real estate law and, and, and how it affects the uh, real estate transaction. And I think you wanted to get into uh, some forms today, right? Yeah, so I was gonna I was gonna talk a little bit about everyone's favorite subject, contracts. There you go. Um, <clears throat> r- r- really exciting, stimulating stuff. <laughs> so I was just gonna do a little background on contracts, give a little context, and then I was gonna get into something that everyone who purchases a home will probably or most people will see, which is the sure. most common pre-printed form contract, and then. Um, and then uh, you know we can we can jump off and you can talk about some land contracts if you want to. Live. Yeah, that's fine, Teresa too. But um, um, you're the person to do it, Matt. You uh, uh, you're uh, the uh, professional development director for Land of the Sky Association of Realtors, which is uh, primarily uh, the uh, Asheville greater area. Uh, how many? How many? You, the, the, the the larger associations uh, here in the last several years have been. Uh, joining with the smaller associations, and, and uh, which is, I think, a great idea. Uh, I think probably at one point we'll have a state association, and then all the all the MLSs will be joined together in terms of being able to promote their products. But um, but uh, yeah, for better or worse. Yeah. yeah, we we are. You know, we did we did uh, Transylvania and Madison County a few years ago. So we are we are now the Land of the Sky Association of Realtors. That is that is correct and. Um, yeah, in addition to doing all pre- professional development and some government affairs here, I, I uh, launched our school in early 2020, just in time for the pandemic. There you go. Uh, to triage into all virtual mode. Um, but, uh, but yeah, teach pre-licensing, post-licensing, and a number of elective courses in addition to my other responsibilities. So, so if you're in that market area, uh, make sure you check in with them. Uh, Matt's uh, Incredible, and you've got a, uh, there's other instructors that you guys have, but you guys do a great job. Uh, commend you on it. So you're in Asheville, is that right? That is correct, okay. yeah. My favorite city in North Carolina. I love Asheville. Everybody loves Asheville. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> but uh, just a little of your background. You, you went to BYU and graduated in 2008, BA in communications, and a minor in Japanese. Now tell me about that. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, you know, just uh, always interested in Japan and, and uh, thought it'd be useful. I haven't really used it in, in my work life, to be frank, but uh, it, it it was fun to, to learn it. And I lived there for a little while, worked there for a while. Oh, really? Okay. That, that was pretty cool. I bet it was. Yep. Uh, yeah. 
and then, uh, as, yeah, as you can see, came home and went to law school on Long Island, New York, and um, practiced law there for a while, was an adjunct professor at my law school. Um, I've developed and taught continuing legal education courses uh, in addition to continuing ed courses for real estate, have my real estate license. Um, and, uh, you know, I've passed the New York bar, passed the North Carolina bar, you know, done a little bit of, a uh, lot, lot of education. So You're a good test taker. This role here at Land of the Sky Association Realtors and the school, and I'm enjoying it. So I bet you have a good pass ratio up there, don't you? <laughs> yeah, we're, you know, we're just getting started off focused mainly uh, on, on post-licensing and CE. We have run a, a, a couple of pre-licensing courses in 2020, and so we're just kind of getting our, our, our feet wet on, on pre-licensing, but we're, we're in for the long haul. So uh, spread the word. We'd love to have absolutely anyone in, out there interested in getting into real estate, please consider Skyland School of Real Estate. We do classes via Zoom, so you can do it from the comfort of your home with your coffee and your pajamas. Anywhere in the state, right? So you're not Absolutely. having to come to Asheville. Yeah, I've had, I've had people from the coast, people from the Triangle area, people from out west, uh, uh, Bryson City be in our classes. So it's it, it's been a lot of fun to be able to get people from all over the state. One of the silver linings to this whole you know mess that is the pandemic. <laughs> well, that's good to know. And for our listening audience out there, you know, I think we got around 108,000 plus licensed real estate agents in North Carolina, one on every corner. But, you know, it's right now in this market, come on, welcome aboard. Uh, but uh, you got to go to school, and that's what, uh, Teresa, 180 hours, Matt? I, I can't remember. Yeah, well, Matt would know. It's 180 hours, right? Um, so you do you do 75 to uh, get the initial license, and then there's 90 hours of mandatory post-licensing that you have to take within a year and a half of getting licensed. Um, you know, but one thing I always remind new licensees, and frankly, people who've been in the business for years, is there's still a general expectation of competency in whatever particular area you're going to be practicing. So just because your license technically enables you to engage in any transaction in any of the 100 counties in North Carolina, you still have to make sure you know your stuff. If you are going to do land, for example, or commercial, or vacation rentals, or property management, so uh, you never stop learning is my mantra. Never stop learning, and that's the purpose of this show, as you well know, Matt. By the way, I had the honor. I also teach. Uh, well, I teach a four-hour CE class. We have to have eight hours called Introduction to Land Brokerage, and Matt, you know, I'm the only land instructor with the only land class in the state of North Carolina. And actually, I'm finding I'm the only one in the daggum country. None of the other states even offer a continuing education course, whatever their hour requisition is, but I'm it. It's crazy. And, uh, of course, we got the Realtors Land Institute that I dedicate the show to, and we're the the satellite, as we call them, like CCIM is for commercial and IRM and and, uh, and SORI is for property management, uh, and GRI is for residential, and so on. Uh, we're the land folks, and we only have 1,600 members out of 1.4 million. So there's a lot of realtors out there that are practicing uh, land and farm brokerage that uh, really don't understand what they're doing, and I hate to say that, but yeah. uh, that, that's a fact. So. Well, we enjoyed having you for your two-day course, Lou, uh, whenever that was. November two time. years seems I, like forever ago, yeah. and we 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 would we would like to have you back. So I would um, you know, lots of land out here, obviously, yes, sir. and uh, we need our members to be well educated. So yeah, that was a fun trip because I had my four hour class in Brunswick County, which is below Wilmington. So I got up and drove down to to Brunswick County from one to five and taught my class, and then I got in my car and drove across the state to Asheville to be in your classroom at eight the next morning. But uh, we got it done. I don't think anybody noticed my fatigue. But uh, no, they loved it. It was it, it was great, Lou. Thank you. So uh, I didn't copy any of the forms uh, uh, that you wanted to talk about, but I did cop- copy the uh, the land contracts, which you have copies of as well. Um, yeah, that's that, that's fine. And I and I didn't want to get too bogged down in in the minutia of that. I I, I more wanted to 
let your listeners just kind of have a, a basic background of, of contracts and what's necessary for a contract and then some of the major points of the residential transaction so they can be at least somewhat well prepared going in, you know, if they're going to sell their home or buy their home. Um, but, you know, I, I want to start off, Lou and Teresa, by, by just, just, just kind of posing a philosophical question. Have you ever thought about how many contracts you enter into on a daily or weekly or monthly basis? Well, if you got the Internet or a cell phone, it could be, especially if you get a new one, it could be quite a few. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, but for better or worse, I, I set my alarm, I wake up, uh, I look, grab my phone, and I look at it, and I realize that is part of a contract that I have with my phone company. Yeah. You know, I, I pay a monthly fee, and in exchange, they don't turn my phone off, and I get to use it. Um, you know, I, I wake up, I roll into a coffee shop, I, I pay five bucks, and in exchange for that, I get a nice overpriced coffee to start my day. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, if you really think about it, our, our lives are really built around entering into a series of agreements and, and contracts. i got to pose you a question. How many people read the contract? <laughs> Well, and, and, and Lou, you make, a, you make a fantastic point. And in fact, uh, one of the main points of last year's mandatory update course for all real estate licensees was reminding everyone, hey, don't just send your client the electronic version, have them click their initials at the bottom and click their electronic signature. Make sure that you are actually reviewing this with them. You know, I, I think the implication there was there's been an uptick in, at, 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 you know, phone calls of the commission saying, hey, you know, um, my agent didn't review this with me. And so that that is very much uh, a, an important uh, role that an agent must do on, on behalf of their client is actually review the contract with them. Absolutely. Very important. And we do that. We stress that on the broken charge to our agents. Right, Teresa? Yes. Teresa is one of our top sales. She was our top salesperson in our firm. Uh, awesome. Less me, less our, uh, my son-in-law, Robbie. Uh, we didn't count, but she was number one last year. I hope she, you were on pace to be number one again, right? I hope so. I sure have worked hard this year. I know yeah. that. We all, we all are. Cool. Congrats, Teresa. Thank you. But she wants to learn about land, and she wants to learn about, uh, you know, it was funny. We, we kind of compared numbers. Not total numbers, but just range numbers. And I think I did nine transactions last year and did, what, 30%, 40% more income than you did. Right, so. right. <laughs> What's wrong with that picture for yeah. you? <laughs> so I uh, worked really hard. <laughs> I think you had 56 or 58 contracts, and I had yeah. nine yeah. and made more money. So, uh, you know. That's impressive. Let me, let me just throw something else out while we're on this uh, so people understand. I've been fortunate to be on the Commercial Forms Committee in the state of North Carolina. Uh, came on board in 2008 when I introduced a, um, hopefully, a land disclosure form uh, for our state. Uh, at that time, there were five states, Matt, that had that form. Uh, and uh, so I brought copies of that. I had one. Cindy Chandler had one, the late Tony Rickard. And several of the land, land producers around the state had created their own, uh, more of a checklist and, and uh, disclosure. And uh, that got me on the committee. But... In North Carolina, we have two forms committees. We have the Residential Forms Committee, and then we have the Commercial Forms Committee. I don't know how many forms there are uh, that have been generated by the residential, but commercial, we have 48 forms. Uh, and then you go to South Carolina, and they have two. So uh, wow. each state, you know, it's uh, up to them and their commission to structure. But the point I want to make to the public is, is that the process that we go through, the minutiae we go through, uh, just to change one word, or we giggle and laugh every time we talk about the famous Yale comma, uh, which was actually a, a lawsuit uh, on a contractual uh, multi-million dollar contract, actually over $50 million. And because of one comma and the placement of it, it changed the meaning of what that, that uh, sentence was and uh, created a lawsuit, and, and, it, and uh, the plaintiff won. Uh, so it's commonly called the Yale comma. So uh, we, we go through it, and then the uh, Bar Association, North Carolina Bar Association, they have a pro bono committee, and after we finish going through our forms once a year, uh, we'll meet with the two or three of us off of our committee, and I had the privilege of doing that last year, 
uh, with the attorneys, and we go through what we've done and then keep, continue shooting holes in it. So these forms that we're talking about, at least the land forms, we spent two years uh, uh, to, you know, adding and subtracting and talking about. And, and, and our realtors, thank you if you're a realtor in North Carolina or any other state, if you have an issue with your state contracts, make sure you contact somebody that's on the forms committee because that's how we get the, like, well, this doesn't make sense or, you know, that because we overlook stuff. So that's real important. And my number's there and anybody on the committee, we'd love your comments on any forms that we create so we can review them and see if we can make it better for you. Our guest today, yeah, is, our guest today is Matt Allen, and this is Let's Talk Land. Land Hub, our sponsor, looking for land, land for sale, landhub.com is the place to be. Talking about the forms committee, we really take what we do seriously. And the citizens of North Carolina uh, should be, and actually all the other states too, because this is not just what we do here in North Carolina. This is cookie-cutted around the United States. But the citizens should feel real good about the contracts that they, that us realtors are supposed to review uh, before they initial and sign and put down their, their uh, due diligence money or earnest money, uh, that uh, they have been well thought out. And we can talk, Matt, you're better at it, talking about some of the protections, especially on the revisions of the forms that are currently starting out July 1st of this year. And that, um, and that um, uh, we take pride in, 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 in the work that we've done. So um, there's a lot of assurance out there that when you're presented with these forms, these many forms and potential applications, that uh, uh, they're, they're protecting you. And, you know, historically, 30 years ago when I got involved, the contracts lent their protection more towards the seller, uh, where today now it's uh, leaning more towards protecting the buyer. They're both protected, don't get me wrong, but, uh, you know, it's just giving the, the buyer an opportunity to uh, to really do their due diligence and be protected specifically on their earnest money and the disposition of that if it doesn't work out. So, Matt, I'm back to you. Thank you. Yeah, and Lou, I agree. I, I, I would say, though, and I'm sure um, you and Teresa can appreciate this, it's Given the mark that we've seen in the past year, especially wow. the seller definitely uh, hold, holds the cards as far as being able to demand, uh, you know, certain things, including just crazy amounts of due diligence money in certain situations. Which, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll mention a little bit more uh, the, the distinction between due diligence money yeah, and please. earnest money <clears throat> in a minute here. But it's been, you know, again, just just hearing from the the uh, members in our association that I that I teach classes and hearing their stories it's 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 pretty wild out there and, and I don't know what do you think Teresa and Lou has it do you see it tapering off a little bit or not so much no I haven't seen anything tapering off good, I'm working good. 10 hours a day six seven days a week holy cow yeah holy yeah, I don't. Wow. I, I I'm doing good to get my house clean right now. <laughs> I do that Aren't like you it, one of those electronic I do, sweepers. I clean house from like nine at night till two in the morning, <laughs> and everybody comes up to me. Oh, I want to sell real estate. I said, Well, be prepared because it's not yeah. like you think it's going to be. Because the class itself is challenging, but it's just preparing you for all the challenges that you're going to meet when you get out there in the real world. Because your phone never stops. You are a source of information for so many people, and it is so important that you know your stuff so that you're not misleading, misleading yeah. people. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and again, Teresa, I, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. You know, it, obviously, it, it, to get an appraiser's license, there's a period where you have to actually do some sort of mentorship kind of um, apprenticeship is the, right. the word I'm looking for. You know, I, I don't know. It's it's. Uh, I've heard people say that'd be nice to have in the uh in, in the real estate realm <laughs> i don't know how realistic that is to implement but sir but it kind of goes to your point you know passing the test and getting that information is one thing but actually the the real world every day kind of kind of um you know all the responsibilities and everything is a totally different uh, beast well the thing that i noticed when i took the class was and when i got out into actually performing real estate functions was that the class teaches you how to stay out of trouble. It teaches you law. It teaches you the fundamentals that you need, but it really doesn't teach you about selling real estate. Mm -hmm. Especially land. 
Well, yeah, either really. Yeah, no, that, that, that or the yep, commercial or the and, other. And I guess that goes back to the point I was making earlier. Just because you have a license doesn't mean you're ready, set, go. You still right. got to be competent in your uh, in your in whatever type of brokerage activities you're engaging in. And I think so, it's really important. And I know this is not law or anything, but I think it's really important that people have some basic understanding of a home. And and as we're not contractors and we're not attorneys and we're not you know, uh, bookkeepers or anything, but we should be able to understand basic stuff enough to be able to, if we look at a house and see a problem with it, that we can question it and not just not be able to to, to speak to our client at all. And, and where that comes into play really big is with inspections. When an inspection comes back and it looks like the house is about to fall down... <laughs> And you're looking at a house that it looks perfectly fine from the outside, but then you're seeing all this crazy. You're seeing a 50-page report that says there's this, this, and this, and this. And I think it's it's important for the agent to be able to explain the reason for that, and you know why these inspectors are are they, their butt is on the line. So they have to to bring all this stuff to light to make sure that it is checked property. It doesn't necessarily mean that there is an issue, but it does, they are, they are telling you, you need to be aware of this and you need to get this checked by a professional. And by the way, the, the inspectors are registered with the North Carolina Real Estate Commission. So you don't just go get somebody out there. <clears throat> the people that do these home inspections right. have to go through a right. uh, pretty rigorous uh, background check and so on. And they're not allowed even though they've done the inspection and they have the company of, of workers to come in and actually work on the house that they've inspected. So, right, uh, right. You know, so there's no hidden agenda where they're yeah, making and, up and, stuff. And, and, you know, I think, Tracy, you make a great point, too, in that, you know, real estate agents should not be home inspectors by right. any means, right. but there still is a, a separate responsibility to be able to recognize what the commission refers to as red flags. You right. Know, you, you have... You've, this additional uh, education and expertise. So if you see something that might not be concerning to a lay person, you know, a member of the general public, if you see some stains on the ceiling, for example, right. or the doors aren't closing properly, you know, cracks, yeah, you're not a, you're not a structural engineer, but right. that should at least be a red flag that would necessitate digging deeper and making the right. suggestion at least to, uh, to let your client know you should look into that. Yeah, it's just like the inspection that I just got the other day. It said something about that it suggests and that it may. And that's what I told them. I said, you need to read this carefully. It is not saying that this foundation is falling up into the ground. It says that this suggests that there may be a problem and you need to get a professional to look at it. And that's where you go. Your agent doesn't just terminate the contract unless you just want to, unless you don't want to investigate it further. But it just makes sense if you really love the home and you've already got your due diligence in and, and all your inspection money and, and everything that you spent to, to go a little step further, unless it's something that you can just look at and tell, you know, And, and, I mean, that's the benefit of the due diligence period, right. uh, which, um, you know, is, is to not only conduct inspections, but also just to, for a buyer to honestly ask themselves, hey, do I really want to go through with this? Right. Because you know, they, can, they can get out for any reason or no reason at all. Exactly. That's prior to that time, and, and they can get their earnest money back. Um, so. can, can you talk about due diligence? Because that's something that's just come about in the last several years. We've had it, but now we have a due diligence fee, and... The difference between that and what earnest money is, is earnest money legally required? I mean, you have to physically put money down? Uh, can you address you those know, you points? Do, you do not, Lou. And I think that's a common misconception. So that, that's a perfect segue into me just kind of giving the, the basics on what you need for a, a valid contract. And, you know, this, this, this can be hopefully easier to remember for anyone listening out there. Just remember, if you clap you have a valid contract. And what does that mean? It means that you need first see consideration. And consideration is sometimes conflated with there needs to be money. And in certain situations for certain contracts, there does need to be some money for like an option to purchase, for example. But generally speaking, consideration just means an exchange of promises. So I am promising to convey clear and marketable title to this property if you buyer promise to pay $400,000, that's it. 
And no, we do not need, even though it's very uncommon to have at a minimum earnest money, it is not necessary to form a valid contract. That exchange of promises forms the valid consideration, which is the C of my clap mnemonic to remember the valid, uh, the essential elements. And the signature, right? Well, we're getting to that. Okay. So, uh, so, so the L of my clap mnemonic, lawful objective, has to be legal, can't have a, an illegal contract, you know. Uh, I don't know if we have any John Wick fans out there, but uh, you know, there's the scene where the Russian mobster comes in and tries to hire Willem Dafoe's character to kill John Wick, and they talk about money, and uh, that that would not hold up in a court of law. You know, you can't have a, a contract killing be uh, right. something that would be enforceable. So, must be for a lawful purpose. So that's the L. The A of my clap mnemonic: assent, mutual assent meeting of the minds, you know, you sometimes hear this thing where we need everyone to be on the same page. And um, for those of you who've, uh, you know, for Teresa, Lou, you've been through real estate school, the mirror image rule, we need uh, all the both parties to agree on all right. essential elements of the contract, uh, the purchase price, due diligence money, earnest money. And finally, the P, party competency. We need each party to be competent and have legal capacity. They have to be of the age of majority. They cannot be declared mentally incompetent by a court of law. They can't be drunk or under the influence of drugs. Otherwise, that's a contract that they could get out of later when they sober up. So there's all these different um, uh, situations that fall under that party competency requirement. But uh, those are just a couple of examples. This is some pretty good ones. I like your clap theory. So if you have consideration, lawful objective, assent, and party competency, you clap, you have a valid contract. But Lou made a very good point. What about in writing? Well, here's the thing. There's lots of contracts that, believe it or not, perfectly valid, even though they are verbal. Now, is it a good idea? Of course not, because you have no proof as to what terms you agreed to. But only certain types of contracts have to be in writing under what's called the statute of frauds. The North Carolina law, every state has a version of it, but it basically says certain contracts are too important. They need to be in writing to be enforceable. And sure enough, most real estate-related contracts, real property-related contracts, must be in writing and signed by the parties to be enforceable. Okay, so I know that was a lot of information, but that's my kind of introduction to essential elements of a contract. (laughs) That's why you're a good instructor. Makes sense. You, you, you paint a picture. You're like the Bible. You get parables, and uh, so people can relate to it. Good. I love good. It. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. Um, but so, so with that foundation, you know, we've been talking a lot already about forms. So what are these forms that we're talking about? Well, the, the North Carolina Real Estate Commission doesn't want licensees drafting contracts. You know, that, that should be for attorneys. But, um, you know, one of the many benefits of being a realtor which is a separate trade association that real estate licensees can be a part of, by being a realtor, you get access to a huge database of forms that, as Lou was mentioning, Lou is a part of this committee, these, these awesome uh, people who dedicate their time and experience and talents to uh, developing a wide variety of forms for different situations. And uh, the reason they do that is because our members have to use pre-printed form contracts. They can't draft stuff from scratch. Um, and so the most common pre-printed form contract for residential, which is what I focus on in my teaching because, you know, out of the 100,000-plus licensees, you know, the, the I, I mean, I, I think I'm safe in saying that the vast majority are, are mainly utilizing the residential offer to purchase and contract. Uh, so that's the one I'm going to kind of mention a couple of points about today here Please. on the show. Um, and, uh, you know, and again, Lou, Teresa, feel free to, to, to chime in uh, wherever you see fit. But, you know, the, these forms, they are important for the buyer or seller. So for those of you listening who are looking about buying a home or selling a home, it's important for you to understand the provisions. In, in that contract. Um, the main things to be conscious of, of course, earnest money, 
which is money that is kind of put up uh, to show that you are interested in purchasing the property, kind of good faith. But in addition to that, there is what's called due diligence money. It is money that you are paying basically to conduct inspections. You're paying it in exchange for the seller taking their property off the market. And if you ultimately decide that you don't want to go through the purchase, you do not get your due diligence money back in most circumstances. There are always exceptions to the rule. I think it's beyond the scope of uh, our show, but um, you know, generally speaking, that due diligence money, you're going to be kissing it goodbye if you ultimately decide to not follow through and purchase the property. Our That's guest, how it's different yeah, from Matt, earnest money. Yeah, our guest today is Matt Allen with uh, Land of the Sky Association. Our sponsor, LandHub.com, view thousands of properties for sale, LandHub.com. So when you pay your due diligence, you're kissing it goodbye. Is there ever an opportunity that you do get your due diligence back? Yes. When you close. Uh, Great, great question. You know, it it, it will depend, but, um, you know, if, 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 for example, and again, this is, this is a very general statement. This is totally going to be fact specific and, um, you know, unfortunately, you may even have to uh, hire an attorney or get a legal opinion. But, you know, if, if, if you could, for example, demonstrate that the seller or the listing agent misrepresented something or should have disclosed something, there's a possibility. Or if, you know, I was just mentioning earlier, party competency, you know, maybe a, a party wasn't competent. That could be a voidable contract or, um, you know, certainly, ultimately, if the contract never um, you know, if, 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 if the parties never enter into a valid contract, but the buyers already delivered due diligence money, uh, they, they, they certainly should be able to get it back in that case as well. Um, but otherwise, you know, they are paying that for the right to conduct their inspections and to think about it. The good news is if the buyer does go through, the due diligence money does go towards the ultimate purchase price of the property. So it's not like that money is above and beyond uh, whatever they agreed to pay uh, for the property. Well, why did we start that? Why did, why did our state start the, the due diligence uh, process? Not the process, but the fact of putting down money. My understanding was that for people who do multiple offers, uh, you know, is that correct? Or what's your thought? Um, you know, Lou, the due diligence contract has been around ever since I have been here, and so I, I wasn't I wasn't here prior to it existing. Um, you know, my my understanding is that uh, you know they they implemented it to kind of require the buyer to have a little bit more skin in the game. You know, if it was just earnest money, they could pretty easily uh, get out of the contract, get their money back, and the seller has just. Last sat there time, for yeah. a month plus, potentially, with their house off the market. Now it's back on, and, and they've lost that time. So, you know, it, it was just a way to make the buyer be a little bit more serious. Okay. And, and so I guess to your point on multiple offers, yeah, you know, it's, it's a way to, I guess, have a very serious buyer in a multiple offer situation differentiate themselves by exactly. being willing to pay, I guess, more due diligence money. Um, but there's a lot of things, you know, multiple offers is very much a, a hot topic right now. And I'm sure, uh, you know, Teresa could, could have some good stories on this. But there, there's, there's a lot of different ways that a prospective buyer in a multiple offer situation can make their offer more attractive. You know, uh, short deadlines, obviously, per- purchase price, uh, higher due diligence or earnest money, uh, you know, cash. Of course, financing terms are always going to be important to a seller. So it's you know, not just due diligence. Money. You know, Matt, something that I've seen, I don't do that many houses. I do them every, you know, but but uh, uh, the last couple ones I did, one of the agents said, why don't you get your buyers to write a little narrative about why they want your home and what they love about it and their children and, you know, the backyard and, you know, a visual narrative. And the last couple homes I've done that was competitive, uh, I suggested to my buyers that they do that, and they did. Beautiful handwritten, you know, uh, narrative, and uh, we won out. Uh, actually, uh, uh, in one situation, we had a lesser dollar offer, but the uh, sellers just fell in love with our clients. Never met them, but just that narrative made the difference. So that might be a little unique thing, Teresa, you might try. 
and other agents out there. Yeah, Teresa, what, do you, what are your thoughts on the on those? Those, those are sometimes called buyer love letters. I, I, I have a comment, but I'm interested to hear your uh, your thoughts, Teresa, before I go. I have had one that it made all the difference, and it was a, a young lady, and she was a single mom, and it, it talked about price point, and it talked about uh, the neighborhood, and it talked about all the things that she loved about raising her child in the in the area and how it was close to her work and this, that, and the other, and it was great. But then I had another one that, that wrote a beautiful letter, and it didn't matter. <laughs> Somebody offered more. <laughs> well, we had a pretty strong offer. So, I mean, it, it can work or it doesn't. I mean, some doesn't people hurt. just don't care. <laughs> well, let me let, let me just say this, and I, and I don't mean to burst anyone's bubble. There there have been some uh, con, uh, fair housing related. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, you know, if, 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 if your letter reveals, for example, you know, protected class, uh, you know, status right. Uh, right. that that ultimately could um, you know it could at least raise the question if in a multiple offer situation your offer was was not accepted or um, or someone finds out that their offer even though it was stronger monetarily wasn't accepted and somebody else's was and they had the letter and it included some sort of hint you know as to you know a person's religion or race or right. and so and so I will just kind of just get that caveat um, right, that's uh, you know, important. Just, just be aware of it. As long as they're tailored appropriately, or they're probably okay. But the, there, there is that um, thing to just be mindful of. Didn't uh, think about that. Well, that's the agent's job, and they need to be able to look at that letter and make sure that there's anything in there that does not go against fair housing. Because I was very thorough when we did submit our letter that it was vague. You know, it was like it was close to her work, and it was close to her school. And you know that she had grew up in the area, so it was it was gen it was general ideas and and nothing yeah. that messes messes with your fresh corn. <laughs> <laughs> fresh corn, yeah. Which uh, and, and we've even, we've even had a few others as realtors, right? Yeah. But you know, one one thing I will say is, and I know, um, I, you know, this is really more for agents than for uh, consumers. But you know, multiple offers. It, it, it to to your point, Teresa, it should should really be all about at the end of the day the money and, right. and objective criteria. And, right. And uh, so I I know in multiple offer situations, a lot of agents are using Excel spreadsheets just reducing offers to, you know, the bare bones, purchase price, earnest money, due diligence, uh, financing, you know, deadlines, and just giving it to their client all at once, which is, is a good idea, too, because, um, as, as Lou and Teresa know, the commission has a, a rule that says if you receive multiple offers at roughly the same time, you must deliver those to your client at the same time. Right. Uh, so that by putting everything in an Excel spreadsheet, that that certainly um, ensures that you comply with that commission rule. But um, anyway. <laughs> Good points. Interesting stuff. So what's changed in our forms, our new forms for the residential? What has changed in our new forms? Well, they, they've added a line uh, for due diligence money if it's going to be electronic because we're hearing an uptick in more and more buyers um, wanting to send due diligence money via, for example, like a cash app, um, you know, Venmo, Apple Pay, Zelle, or just a couple of examples. Right. And, you know, the, 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 there, there might be some issues. You know, I know some firms don't like it. I know some lenders don't like that. But, you know, the, the commission has not said that they have any issue with it. A lot of lenders seem to be okay with it. And and uh, the benefit of a buyer paying the due diligence money that way is it goes directly to the seller, so it cuts out the agent, and there's no there are no issues with the due diligence money being delivered to the seller in a timely manner. You know um, that that's another issue that was coming up. You know due diligence money is supposed to be delivered to the seller by the effective date of the contract, the day you go under contract, and that was not happening in in certain cases. So, Especially if it's eleven o'clock uh, at night. Being able to do it electronically yeah. alleviates that issue. Um, other than that, you know they they've they have changed the financing section of the offer to purchase. Um, you know, they've taken out some references to down payment assistance. Uh, they have uh, completely overhauled the remedies section. 
So what happens if seller breaches the contract? This is what the buyer gets. What happens if buyer breaches the contract? This is what the seller gets. So it, it used to be kind of all over the contract in different places. The Forms Committee has now taken all of that and put it in one paragraph at the end of the offer to purchase called the remedies section. Love it. Good job, Forms Committee. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> well, you have to think of all these scenarios, and you have to you yeah. know, play out the scenario, and what ifs, and uh, how's this going to affect, and you know where does it go physically in the contract? What's the order of language? Very, very important. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I agree, Lou. You know, you were mentioning earlier uh, our, our our Forms Committee and what a great job they do, and, and I agree. You know, I've, I'm I'm not trying to cast dispersions at other states' forms, but I've looked at a few other states' forms, and I I, I may be biased, but I think ours are far and away. The, the best, the most thorough, um, and so well, um, so our forms committee. I'm licensed in Virginia as well, and several years ago, uh, uh, Virginia Commission uh, approached our commission about using some of our forms, which they adopted. Uh, That's so, cool. Uh, yeah, so uh, North Carolina is a very special place. It, uh, we, uh, I agree, I agree. We're uh, old English laws, and, uh, you know, but uh, I, I, I love working in the state. I do. All right. Anything else on the residential contract? You know, I think that basically covers what I want to talk about. Yeah, well, you did a great let me, job. Let me just say in closing this to all the buyers out there. You know, it, especially first-time home buyers, it's daunting, you know, and, and, there, and there's a lot of stuff you need to be taken care of and being taken care of early. And, you know, you really rely on your buyer's agent. You know, they should be helping you walk through the process and, really being a, a good source of the source early on for, uh, you know, if you need a loan, uh, setting you up with p potential mortgage lenders, uh, giving you a list of attorneys that can do title search and uh, hook you up with title insurance and do closing. Um, you know, just making sure that you get that inspection done as soon as possible so if there are any potential issues, you can do specialized inspections and then if necessary, negotiate with the seller for some repairs or a credit or reduction in price. So these are just all things that you should be thinking of as a buyer and um, making sure that your buyer's agent is doing right by you. One question I've got or one point I wanted to make, uh, pre-approval letters. Teresa, you can charm in on this too. Yeah. What, what are you hearing in your classes about pre-approval letters to, when presenting an offer? Able. You've got to be ready, willing, and able. But and if you're you, going to compete, these, these my, to my point that. to our audience is a lot of people don't understand that before they go make an offer on something, and this is including land mm -hmm. too, uh, either proof of funds, showing where those funds physically are, that can pick right. up the phone and call right. and say, are these, is this a fake affidavit or are these funds there? Right. Or our letter of credit when making especially right. multiple offers, right? Well, see, I just went through that with someone, and that's the way I explained it to them. I said, you know, it's our job to bring a ready, willing, and able buyer, and this is evidence that you are ready, willing, and able, this, this pre-approval letter. And that still don't mean it, don't ha it could happen because it can still blow up. But what, what are you hearing in your classes, Matt? Um, you know, I, I haven't really uh, heard anything specifically about that. I mean, of course, you know, always make the suggestion to to uh, go in strong, especially in this market, and, and make sure that that people are uh, at a minimum, you know, they have that pre-approval. In fact, I know a lot of agents that won't even, you know, rightfully so, won't even show homes until yeah. yeah. somebody has that because talk about a waste of time to look at homes that the person can't even afford ultimately. Right. So. Well, we have to present all offers, but they don't have to consider all offers. That's the bottom line. So if, if you've got that little piece of paper that is giving some consideration to the possibility that you are ready, willing, and able, yeah. instead yeah. of nothing, just because, I mean, I, I've had a, a very odd one recently, and, and he kept saying, well, he kept saying it was proof of funds, proof of funds, and I said, no, this is not proof of funds, because it's got to be from a credible source, too. It can't just be somebody saying, hey, yeah, he's got money. <laughs> it's not a pre-approval. Yeah. yeah. 
So you want to move Anatomy. in? Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. You want to move well, into? And, 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 and that just you know that just jogged my, my my memory though a little bit on another really important thing. And Teresa, I, you know, I, I don't know another change that was was made was just kind of uh, changing some language in um, speaking the financing section, just talking about the fact that if somebody does decide to change how they're going to finance it from how, what their initial contract said, right. that is a material fact that must be disclosed. And, and, I, I, and I think that that is becoming more of an issue because we're seeing an uptick of, of cases where somebody acts like they're going to be a cash buyer and then ultimately decides to get a loan and a seller feels like that's a bait and switch. You know? Right. Well, that has a lot to do with time. In cash, you can close quicker. And if you put down a date of closing as a cash buyer and then you say, well, I'm going to go get a mortgage and now that 20 days or 30 days or whatever that short term is on cash might be 30 or 60. And, uh, and the seller has other obligations based on the fact that they thought it was a quick close and it's not. And that and that's a great point, Lou. And and you, and you know, there there previously there was a fourteen day automatic cushion. Right. Is that's, that still in effect? That's shortened to seven days, and so oh, okay. there's another change. And so and so, yeah, you know, there's there's not as much of an opportunity for the buyer to to play that game. And and let's be honest, if if the seller could prove that the buyer was misrepresenting that, and they always intended to get a loan, and they indicated from the outset that they were going to be cash. You know that would be uh, that would be serious. That would be misrepresentation. That would be you know fraudulent. So um, you know, of course, proving that would be would be a different story. But um, but yeah, ah, I didn't know we'd went from fourteen to, to seven. That was good. That was good information to know. <laughs> See, you learn everything. When on this did show. did that one start? July first, or yeah, is that yeah, July. that was July first? Yep. Everything's effective July first. Okay, because I got and, one and right the now. Forms, you know, you don't need to. They they do give a little bit of a grace period. You don't need to start using forms until uh, 60 days and so you have until grace period September 1st yeah play with and see like I have one that was supposed to close today and there's become an issue <laughs> just become an issue we should stop right there but anyway <laughs> be careful <laughs> I mean so we only have seven days now and is that counting well, the weekend but, but, but that's that, that's assuming you're using the new contract so oh, okay so, so okay. you know I, I, if, if if this is a deal that that went under contract, you know previously, yeah, and you yeah. were using the 2020 version of the form, then you're still going to have that 14 day grace okay. period language in the so you're safe, Yeah. But the new, the new offer to purchase that that came out July one, it's just seven days. Right. And that's effective. We can use them now, but that's effective September first. Well, the the, the it, yeah, uh, you the every firm just needs to start using the 2021 right. versions. No later than September first, right. but you can start using them, you know, today, today. Uh, you know, as of July first. So just, I, I would just go in for everyone, you know, any any realtors out there, just go in and make sure your zip forms are updated to have the 2021 newly released version. Okay. What about the new working with real estate forms? Working with the yeah, real estate those agent. Are, and and that is something so the commission released that and that is something that licensees need to be using as of july 1st and i'm a huge fan uh, of that you know the the previous disclosure was difficult to understand it was yes. really long yes. uh you know consumers were just kind of like what are you talking about <laughs> yeah. we love to confuse them <laughs> my favorite thing it's, it's, it's a lot shorter <clears throat> it's just one side for the seller one side for the buyer there's a separate q a if your prospective client wants to dive deeper into more information, but it's just we're not getting bogged down in, in a bunch of words like the previous uh, brochure. Yeah. So yeah, I really like it, too. I do, I do, too. All right. With our time remaining, can we move into land contracts a little bit? Because this is the land show. Let's talk land. I'm Let's happy, do it. To, happy to bring the residential guys in there, too. It's important to our listening audience, too. Because uh, you may buy a farm, and the farm is going to have a house on it probably. So um, right. thank, thank you for bringing that to our attention. Uh, but basically, uh, uh, we have the residential land forms, and then we have the commercial land forms. And I think there's a misunderstanding uh, with the real estate realtors uh, out there that, uh, you know, you don't use commercial forms when you're doing, uh, you know, land sales, uh, you know, especially unimproved. Uh, but 
if you look at the name of the T, uh, 12T, which is the land contract that the residential group put together, it says land lot. And it's really the language and the structure of it, talking to the, those on that committee, is really for subdivision lots, uh, not for acreage lots. And we recognized that on the Commercial Forms Committee a couple years ago because I brought it up, and I'm the land person for our committee, is that we need to beef up our commercial forms. And by the way, guys, it's okay, even though you're a residential real estate agent, to use commercial forms if they're applicable to the case. Uh, so our existing 580T uh, form uh, has been used for years, but we spent two years, and it's now called 580L-T, for land and, and transaction, but but uh, we added a lot of the stuff, like for example, we'll see Matt uh, on an acreage track that has an old deed description with an old um, uh, survey methodology uh, that may call for 109 acres uh, that was pulled by chains or pulled by rods or you know uh, uh, just old descriptions. That when you actually go out there and survey it, which used to be three dimensional up the hill, down the hill, now it's a flat plain. Uh, that that acreage may come out as 92 acres or may come out as 120 acres. Uh, so until it's uh, updated, you don't know. So now you've made a purchase price of $400,000 for this 109 acres, okay? And then you get the new survey, and now it's less than or more than. Well, that changed the per acre price. So we made it in there where, where now you make a per acre price subject to new survey and who pays for it and uh, to price to be adjusted. And that way, the buyer is selling every inch they're selling, the seller is buying every inch they're buying, and it's the fairest way of doing it. So that was an important uh, thing that we added. And then in North Carolina, we have uh, uh, deferments, uh, uh, where if you have 20 acres or more of timber, or if you have 10 acres more of pasture, or five acres more of cultivated, on the latter two, producing $1,000 a year of some type of income, uh, that uh, they will reduce your tax value. Uh, uh, last track, my grandfather bought 300 acres, uh, paid $3,500 for it. Uh, it's been in a forestry deferment since 1929, and the current taxes on it are $280 a year uh, because they took the right now market value of about a million and a half and says that it's only worth 200 and some thousand based at 70 cents per thousand, or whatever those numbers are. So we added that into the contract language. So when that issue comes up, that can be addressed. And, um, and then we also created an addendum to go with the, uh, with the uh, 580LT, which is just called the 580T. Uh, and, and that even adds some more stuff with the uh, perk test and the well and so on. So agents out there, if you're involved in a land transaction, not a subdivision lot, please start using these commercial forms. It's okay. And the other thing, Matt, is we do not have a due diligence fee on the commercial forms. So you do have the right to due diligence, but there's only the escrow uh, information. I noticed that. That is pretty different. Yeah. Yeah, I have a question about that. It says on the commercial, on the commercial form, it says earnest money shall mean, and then there's a blank dollars, or terms as follows. Is it possible that you could put, like if you were putting like $10,000 in terms as follows, could the seller ask that part of that earnest money be non-refundable? I mean, does that make it due diligence? Can you do that with the contract? I can't answer that question. That's a legal question. Well, that's what I'm asking him for because he's an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> question i i mean i i don't know noticed, if, huh? I, I i was just telling lou honestly the fate the, the 580 lt yeah. I, I don't i don't think a lot of agents know about it and frankly this is kind of the first time that i'm looking at it um so, well, i had someone so ask I, me I, that i would be remiss if i try to give an opinion on that because i i it, it seems like the sort of thing that um you know, it, it kind of feels like it's creeping into mm, practicing and I, and I law. Kind of the unauthorized practice of law might yeah. do too much drafting. I right. want to make sure that it that it aligned with other provisions and then it contradicts something in the contract. So um, I, I'm going to kind of punt on that. But, so what does it mean, uh, or terms like as follows? What does that mean? Well, you know what, guys, you just gave me something to take back to the next <laughs> form committee. 
So write that up and hey, that was all Teresa. Yeah. That was that was a great right. yeah. And then I'll put in there and and a legal, a good, reliable legal source says they don't know. I won't mention your name, Matt, unless you send me twenty five dollars. Uh, Starbucks gifts. Well, that, that'd be a good question for Will Martin, right? Yeah, Will would love it. <laughs> who's who's dubbing him? We lost Garf Dunkel, God, to cancer uh, last November, and he. 27, 28 years, and God, what a leader. I, I know. He was so um, nice. Among other things. And an instructor, too, for years for the commercial oh, yeah. realtors. What a, what a beautiful fellow. I think Amazing guy. But uh, anyway, so just to, you know, the point I'm making here is for the, the agents out there, it's okay to use these commercial forms if they're applicable to the situation. Now, I'm doing a deal right now on a on a track of land that, uh, that uh, let's see. 119 acres, and uh, it has about 22 acres with all the pasture and the pond and the outbuildings and the road frontage, and then it tees out uh, uh, at a rectangle, and uh, and uh, the clients only want to buy 48 acres of it, and the sellers say, well, what do I do with the rest of it? And they said, well, we don't want it, but would you owner finance it because it's going to mess up our VA loan, non-conventional, Teresa, construction VA loan. On 48 acres, which I haven't seen, but we've got a lender for that. But uh, so we came up with, well, we'll owner the sellers will owner finance the balance of the property. Well, when I start looking at all the forms, uh, you got two different transactions there. You've got a owner, you got a finance situation, right, which is pretty traditional, and then you've got an owner finance part for you know A and B. A's uh, the finance, B is the owner finance. So guess what I did. Had an attorney. I've got an attorney drawing <laughs> up the contracts. So, and it's the first time I've ever done that in my life. Yeah. But there are situations, and my point being, and Matt, you'll agree with me, and you probably instruct your students when you teach, that there might be some situations where you know you really do need to get an attorney. I know we hear yeah. in, in the commercial forms committee all the time that a lot of the big commercial deals they don't use anything to do with these forms. All the forms, Garth, that was his, his law firm in Charlotte. You know, that was the majority of their time was drafting commercial contracts because, man, those things can get really complicated. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that, that's what I had heard, too. And that's why I, uh, you know, frankly, you know, there's so much to cover in pre- and post-licensing. And, and, and considering commercial is such a niche, you know, I, I and the fact that, again, to your point, a lot of uh, commercial licensees, uh, appear, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but many of them don't even use these forms in, in certain situations. Sure. I, I I tend to not really focus on them a, a, as much, certainly as the certainly the residential and even the the twelve T land and lot and the new construction. Um, so, Matt, we're going to have to end your show. I'm sorry, we're out of time, but thank you so much for coming back and joining us, and we'd love to have you back again. You're a, you're a great source, and and you just have such a way of explaining things that I'm sure our listening audience appreciates. And so you're always welcome to come back. You know that. And we have lots Bye. more forms. <laughs> yeah, we have lots more forms, Matt. <laughs> you can come back and back and back. <laughs> and back and back again. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. No, I, I love coming in. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. A situation that Teresa mentioned actually reminded me I, I could come back and I could talk about, you know, material facts and, and, and what to be looking for and, and uh, you know, and how that relates to due diligence, and what a seller's disclosure requirements are under the Residential Property Disclosure Act. You know, some of those types of issues. So Always welcome. That can be something we do later on this year. Thank you for joining us today. Let us know how you like the show. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to suggest, we would appreciate them. All questions are welcome, and all of our guests may be email with your questions as well. This show is for the public and, most importantly, for real estate agents who do not have a source of land education. All of our shows are downloaded after the show today on our master website, www.letstalkland.net. Also, you'll find us on Spotify and Podbeam. How do I get with you, Teresa? They can email me at teresa.mylandpro at gmail.com or give me a call at 336-209-2937. And my email is lou, L-O-U, at mylandpro.com. Lou at mylandpro.com. My cell number is 336-669-1405. Call me anytime. I love helping people. Hey, our sponsor is landhub.com. Thank you for looking. Think, sorry, are you looking to buy or sell land? Landhub.com previews thousands of properties nationwide. Make sure you check out land. Hey, if you're selling your own property, you can list it there, too. Uh, they do a great job. Ronnie, how do they get in touch with us here? 
Well, Lou, they can go to our website, go to WKTE1090.com, and also they can download the simple radio app. How simple is it? Pretty simple, isn't it, Teresa? Has to be. Teresa can, I can do, do it. it. <laughs> yeah, she can do it. Anybody can do it. Simple radio. Just yeah. go to the, doesn't matter what the device is. No. It can be on your computer. Computer, phone. iPad. iPad. Okay. And listen to only what, Teresa? Happy music. That's only, right. We only play happy music. Beach and oldies. 60s, 70s, and 80s. Yes. And we won some nice awards. Yeah, six years in a row being the top radio station on the East Coast for Beach and Oldies. No way. Yes, way. And you won a nice award. Yeah, the Reader's Choice uh, for Announcer of the Year Award. Hmm. I I don't know. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll see you next week.